Okay, um, let's pray. God, I just want to thank you today that we have a king. And what a wonderful king he is, King Jesus. And uh, as we've worshipped you, God, you've brought us to a place where our eyes have been lifted to see the king of the universe, the king over all creation, but the king of his church. And I just want to pray, God, today as we, as we honour the king, as we look at the king, Father, that you would just open our eyes to see afresh what this king is about, who this king is, and who he is to us, and how he wants to extend his kingdom through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So who's been enjoying the series so far? Yeah, good, good. Um, so the, the series is um, Outrageous Worship and different, different psalms have, uh, have been selected to, to show what outrageous worship is. Um, but tying it in with uh, a prophecy that Julian Adams brought to Jubilee Church a few, a few, a few years ago. So we're going to look at the psalm, um, but then we're going to unpack the psalm a little bit, but then actually see what God is saying to us as, a, as the, the church. Um, in light of this prophecy that Julian Adams brought a few a few years ago, so I just want to briefly summarise a couple of the talks that we've had already. So a couple of weeks ago, Joe spoke about outrageous worship in the face of injustice, how we actually respond when when those who don't seem to be following us and us and and we seem not to we seem to be struggling. How do we respond to that? And then um, just the, the Sunday Sunday ago, Simon spoke about outrageous worship when we are surrounded. How do we respond when we have things coming against us, um, things challenges coming into 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 our life? How do we respond to that, knowing that we have um, an amazing an amazing God? And then at the start of the series, Paul spoke about outrageous worship in the marketplace. And um, that was kind of just kicking off the series, and I want to kind of um, build on on that talk a little, a little, a little, a little, a little bit today, um, because the, you know, within the Psalms there's there's a balance. Um, you know, David wrote some some pretty depressing Psalms, but he also wrote some really inspiring Psalms. Some of the Psalms were like, God, everything's coming against me, and some of the Psalms were just God lifting his eyes to worship, to worship God. So there is there is a balance, and we need to have a have a, have a balance in um, in that. Um, and Paul spoke about outrageous worship in the marketplace, in in the respect that our our worship isn't contained within a setting like this on a Sunday morning. That actually this is part of how we worship, but the majority of our worship is what we do in our lives when we're Monday to Friday, or you know, Monday to Saturday when we're not here on the Sunday. Actually, how does worship impact other people's lives as we as we worship? So I want to build on that a little bit, a little bit today, um, and we're going to look at a psalm, psalm, psalm eight. It's a psalm of the, the praise, um, where David encourages us to lift our eyes above our current situation and our current settings. It's a personal psalm. Psalm uh, David uses the word Lord, Yahweh, which is the covenant name that God gave to the people of God. If you want to speak to me, if you want to call me a name, call me Yahweh. 
And it's a very personal psalm that, 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 David, that David spoke about. But also it's a psalm which they stretches our, our imagination across creation. But it's also a very prophetic psalm. And that's the bit I want to kind of touch on mainly, mainly today. So when I was looking at the psalm, initially when, when I kind of chose it, I was going to go, okay, well, it's about identity. It's about who God says that we, that we are. And we'll have a look a little bit of that. But actually, when I looked at the psalm, um, I was kind of hijacked a little, a little, um, a little, a little bit by the first and the last verse, which are identical. So I actually looked at that, at that, at those, at the verses, the first and the last, and the last, uh, the last of the verses, um, and that's really a bit I want to f- kind of focus on really today. Um, so we're going to look at the psalm. So if we can turn to Psalm eight. Okay, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and the infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your 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 heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and with honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So when you look at the Psalms, or when you look at any part of the scripture, if there's a repetition of a a certain word or a certain phrase or the, the verse, there's something significant about that. So, that the, the first and the last, the last of the verses are identical. So, so David starts with this call of praise and finishes with this call to praise and to and to worship. So, just to um, encourage you, if you're looking, if you're looking at the Psalms or any part of the Scripture, if you see something repeated, take take a note of it because there's something significant that is part of that piece of Scripture that is implied um, in that. So we're not going to we're not going to go through the verse uh, through the the psalm verse by the, the verse. We're going to kind of look at uh, the body of it very very briefly. But that's how I want to touch on the first and the last and the last verse there. So David kicks off the psalm with this burst of praise. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Do you know sometimes when you when you when you, when you're worshiping or when you're just praying and you're seeking God, something just rises up at times. Isn't it? You just like call out words. You call out something that stirs within you that rises up and then you call it out. This is what David was uh, was doing here as he was thinking and contemplating God. Something rose up within him and just says, "Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth." And I can imagine when David was writing the psalm. Maybe his mind went back to when he was a boy, when he was a shepherd boy out on the hillside with, his, with his, the sheep. 
And they didn't have any light pollution in those, in those days. And I can imagine David just lying back on, his, on the grass, just looking up, up at the sky, and just seeing all the stars. Maybe seeing a shooting star going across the sky. Maybe seeing the different planets and kind of seeing how, where, where it all fits in. When I consider your heavens... Do you know from between the sun and our, our, solar, our solar, solar, solar system, between the sun and Pluto is six billion kilometers. So if you fired a gun in 1894, it would be hitting Pluto about now. 124 years to fire a bullet from the sun hitting Pluto, 6, 000, uh, sorry, 6 million kilometres. If one millimetre was a million kilometres, then from the sun to Pluto is 6 metres. So let's go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So that's about 6 billion kilometres. If one millimetre is 1 million kilometres. That's from the sun to Pluto. The nearest star to, to the, the sun is a star called Proxima Centauri. I pronounced it wrong, probably, but that's, what, that's how it reads. That, <laughs> that star is 4.2 light years away. One light year is how far light travels over, over the year. Now, if light travels 186,000 miles a second... 4.2 light years. That's the nearest star. If, that was, if this was six, six metres from, from Pluto to the, to the sun, then the nearest star is about Worcester. When I consider your heavens. The furthest pit that is, the furthest um, area that has been noted, um, and I couldn't get a couldn't get a definition for this, but that's 13.26 billion light years away, which is a little bit further than here and a little bit further than, than Worcester. So when David was looking up at the stars, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, you know, there's estimated to be one million um, types of insects. There's about 10,000 types of birds. There's about 25,000 types of fish. There's about 240,000 types of flowers. There's about 37,000 types of spiders, which for me is 37,000 too many. <laughs> hate spiders. When I consider the work of your hands, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, if you were to take a bulldozer and you were to scoop up the sand on every beach in the world to a depth of one metre, one grain of sand is one star, estimated. That is a number. I mean, Simon will tell you the number, what, what this, this number is. But five and 21 noughts, again, give or take, is roughly how many stars are estimated to be. If that doesn't cause us to say, God, you are so amazing, then we need to check our pulses. Because that is just astounding that we think about that. When I consider your heavens, the moon and the stars, the work of your hands, 
We have an amazing God. We have such a powerful God. Abraham Lincoln, he said, I can see how it might be possible for man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. But I cannot conceive how he can look up into the heavens and say there is no God. You know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not clever enough for that. But when I think about this, how, I'm not, this is not about creation and all that kind of stuff. But how can it not be that there is a creator and a thought behind it? Anyway, we'll leave that bit there because that's enough for something else a lot more clever than I am to talk about that. So then where, after David kind of opens his eyes and sees the vastness of, of creation, he asks a question that has been a question that every generation since this has asked. David asks, who am I and what am I doing here on earth? So in the psalm it says, when you consider all that, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him. Who are we? Who are we? There was a um, story, uh, this is from Alpha, I think. Um, there was a story of an um, au pair that came to, came to a family. She wasn't from the UK, so she didn't speak very good English. And she was looking after the children, and uh, the children were not behaving well. Um, and she meant to say, what on earth are you doing? But actually what she did say is, what are you doing here on earth? A very profound question, and it's a question that David asks us here. What are we doing here on earth? What is this all, all then about? Um, and David though, then goes on just to open that up. So when he asks this question, what is man? Who are we? What are we doing here on, um, on earth? Three things that David goes on to say. He says that you made man a little lower than the heavenly beings. Some say that that heavenly beings refers to angels. Some people even interpret that that um, made a little lower than God himself. Either, either, either way, whether it's angels or God himself, what David is saying, actually, man is made in the image and the likeness of their father. That we are made in your father's image. You are made in your father's image. You're not just a biological collision between a man and a woman. There is a thought and there's a plan for your life that God created you for. You are made a little lower than the heavenly beings. You're the pinnacle of creation. You're the only part of creation that God made by hand. Do you realise that? Most of creation, God spoke and trees and mountains and all that appeared. The only part of creation that was formed by God's hand himself, was us. Was man and was, and was the, the woman. So God thinks you're pretty special. You're crowned with glory and with honour. So you're not only just made in the image of God, but there's a royalty about you. There's a royalty about us. That we're, God has crowned us with glory and honour. There's a special part that God has for you. You're a child of the king over all creation. And then the third thing he says is that you made him a ruler over the work of your hands. Not only are we in, his, in, God's, in God's image, not only are we uh, royalty, but actually we've been delegated responsibility, authority over the world, over creation, which we'll look at in a little, in a little while further. So what we're going to do now 
So we've got this kind of setting where David um, opens up creation, opens his mind to, to creation, asks questions, who, is, who, who, who are we, what are we doing here um, um, on earth, answers that by saying we're made in his likeness, we're the child of the king, we've been given authority. On the back of that, I want to then jump forward about a thousand years to when Jesus was here on earth. Jesus told a parable about um, the kingdom. And it's in Matthew 13, it says, The kingdom of, the, of, 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 of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. This is Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, which was coming, which he'd come to initiate here on the earth. See, whenever you read about the kingdom in the the Bible, it generally starts as something small, but then something grows. Now, at New Day, over the week, so in the the morning, there were two two sessions, there were two groups. One was the 12 to 14s, which I was going to, um, which there's loads of mess, and actually there's a guy, a guy. And they, they had to like the, the leaders had to do a challenge. Um, it was like the, who, you know, who's the best yeah, youth, the, the youth, the youth, the youth leader there. And one of the challenges was they had to have the head shaved. I was go. Andrew Andrew Eden was due to be our um, leader involved in that. I'm glad he didn't he didn't get pulled forward to that. Anyway, anyway, that's something that happened. But in the, the 12 to 14s, um, there was something that was going on which I want to describe um, as New Day Pong. Okay, you see, whenever people turn up to New Day, they're all fresh, aren't they? Fresh clothes, clean socks, clean pants, everything's good on the Saturday and Sunday. And then maybe come Monday, there's a bit of a scent. Come Saturday morning, you can, no, I won't say you can taste it because you can't, it's, it's, it's strong. It's strong. It is something which starts off small, just a little, just a little whiff. But by the Saturday morning, you know you're in the 12 to 14s. Now, our, our young people are excluded because our young people washed, they, they, they showered, so parents be very proud of that. I'm not talking about our own young people. I'm talking about the other dirty ones that came. Uh, but that was... So that, that, okay, it's not the best example, but it's the only one I could think of. But it's basically to say that the, when you look at the kingdom of God, it starts small... shouldn't have gone there, should I? I should have chosen a better example. But you understand what I'm saying. Oh, dear. Uh, so Jesus told this parable about a little tiny, tiny seed which actually grew to be a huge tree um, that the birds and people came, to, came to, find, to, find, to find shelter. That's really the point I was trying to make. Without smells and whiffs. Okay, okay. Let's move on. Um, well, let's move move kind of backwards. I want to go 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 backwards. This was kind of a thousand years when Jesus told the parable. Now, about five hundred, roughly or so, years before that, Ezekiel um, had 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 a vision, and Ezekiel had the vision when um, so when Judah was taken um, into exile to Babylon. That's when Ezekiel was then was then around, and he had a vision. And the vision was, uh, it was a bit of a weird one. There was um, an eagle, and then there was a cedar tree. 
And in the division, an eagle came and took the top twig from this cedar, cedar tree, took it away and planted it in a different, in a different land. Now, the, the, the top of the twig, the, seed, the top of the tree represented the king at the time. So what Ezekiel was saying is that I'm going to take the king from Judah and I'm going to take him and I'm going to plant him in a different, in a different, in a different land. That's basically what he was saying there. There's other, bar, other parts of that bit. But then the vision goes on to say, um, and this I do need to, to read. So after, the, after this eagle had taken this, um, this, this twig and planted, so Israel were taken in, uh, Judah were taken into exile to, to Babylon, uh, basically the tree didn't, didn't really survive. It kind of shriveled up. But then it says in Ezekiel 17, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar tree and plant it. I'll break it off. I'll break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the high, on the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Cedar uh, birds of every kind will rest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. So the parable that Jesus told about the mustard seed, we can connect back to here, to this vision that Ezekiel had. So let's just very look very quickly at, this, at the division. God took a twig. God took a king and planted the king here on the earth. Where? On the high and lofty mountain, the place where God encounters his people, this king was planted. God planted a king here on the earth. And represented in the tree, what was this, this tree like? This, this tree became just kind of a little sprig, just a tiny sprig. But it became a massive cedar. And what happened? That the birds came and found shelter. People came and found shelter, kind of forward into the parable that Jesus told. So what was the power, what, what does the vision mean there? It means that God instilled a king here on the earth. And it's a king, it's a kingdom that was going to start small, but it's a kingdom that was going to grow and was going to expand and was going to fill the whole of the earth. Do we get the picture? Ezekiel had a vision of the coming kingdom that Jesus was going to initiate when Jesus the king was planted here on the earth. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. So with this vision that Ezekiel had, the tree was instilled, but the branches went out. The branches took the kingdom out. The branches extended the tree. God is calling us. We are the branches. We are the ones who have carried the kingdom within us, and we carry the kingdom out. So let's bring this back to the start because you're thinking, where is this all going? So in that in the division, this 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 cedar, the cedar tree that Ezekiel had, in the new the new international version, it says that it was a splendor seed, a splendid cedar. In the English Standard Version, it says that it was a noble cedar. The New American Standard Version said it was a stately cedar. The King James Version said it was a goodly cedar. But in the New Living Translation, it says that it's a majestic cedar. The same word, the same word majestic, 
which David called God's name in Psalm 8. So when David was saying, your name is majestic, he wasn't just saying, you've got a great name, you've got a royal name, you've got a powerful name. David was saying, the name, your name, your glorious name is going to fill the whole of the earth as this cedar was going to be filling out from the Ezekiel's vision, as this small seed was going to grow and fill the whole of the, become a massive, a, massive, a massive tree, David was saying that God's name is going to start small, but it's going to fill the whole of the earth. Yeah. Do you know, when I was... I I'd never discovered that until I started looking again at the psalm. And it was just... You know, when you have those, those moments thinking, wow. blimey. <laughs> I'd, never, I'd never seen it before. It was just, it was just like sideswiped side me completely. Because what God's saying is that his kingdom is growing. His kingdom is being established. His kingdom is going to fill the whole of the earth. His glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, as another prophecy says. So when we grasp that that's, we're made in God's image, we're made in your Father's image, when we understand that we are children of the King, when we understand that we've been delegated authority from that king, what do we do with it? So let's try and apply this, if then we, if, if, if then we can. So we're going to look at just part of Julian Adams' prophecy that he brought a few, a few years ago. And he says that there will be partnerships that will cross the boundary lines into Birmingham. They will cross boundary lines into Kenilworth and Coventry. I'll put the neaton in there as well. Bit of, bit of license. Sorry, Julian. Is that allowed? I'm not adding to scripture here, so that's all right. Um, <laughs> and different places around this region, for I will give you a father in voice as a church. I will give you a father in voice as a church to touch the, to touch the broken and the hurting. See, for the past couple of years or so, in, the, in Jubilee, we've been encouraged and we've been provoked, haven't we, not just to keep what we have inside, not just to keep it to ourselves, but to take it out into wherever our settings are. When our girls were younger, they had um, this, this little toy. And when you buy it from the shop, it's just like a fluffy... Um, plain fluffy thing but it's got a zip and when you undo the zip and you fold it inside out something else sometimes a strawberry or I don't know something else but something else is contained within and what I feel God is, is been doing to us as a church he's been turning the church inside out so what is what we encounter here which is great which is powerful which is really awesome and a privilege to be to be part of. It's not to be contained inside, but God wants to turn us as a church inside out so that we can reach and we can impact our different settings. And it's been really great just to hear testimonies of how different people have um, had real breakthrough in, um, in, in different settings, in workplaces, in schools. But also people have shared, you know what, I tried this and it didn't quite go. But it's not about whether it's successful or not. 
It's about us stepping out in faith to see what God is going to, is going to do. Uh, now, when we were away to, away to New Day, Dylan, um, Dylan, Dylan Norris shared, shared something about what God was speaking to him about. So I'm going to invite Dylan. Let's welcome Dylan. I'll give you both. I know which one's working. <laughs> Choose your weapon. <laughs> which one is facing? Just tell me which one you want. I'll use this one. Okay. <laughs> yeah? There we go. So, uh, at New Day, we all had a great time, and God spoke to all of us, not just me, in many marvelous and wonderful ways. And it was on the night of the healing night slash prayer night, where we just pray for everyone to get healing. We pray for churches to be planted around the world. And I remember God saying to me very clearly that when I go to my new college in September, he wants me to start an alpha course. And I remember the first thing I remember thinking is, oh, dear. And I was like, how on earth am I going to do that? I've never been to this college. I've never done this kind of thing by myself. And there will be so many people there to... Uh, try and stop me, to ridicule me, and think it's a load of rubbish. And then I remember hearing someone say that you fight God's enemies, and he will throw yours aside. And I, I remember hearing that, and I was like, yeah, I, I will, I'll fight your enemies, God, and I won't have to worry about anyone trying to stop me or ridicule me or anything. And it doesn't matter how many people turn up, I realized, because as long as one person turns up to hear the word of God, then they're like the mustard seed. They can spread throughout the whole college. And I've just been filled with hope ever since that about the Alpha course. So, yeah. Great. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. So that's just a brilliant example of how God is extending the boundary lines for Jubilee. What's your boundary line? What's my boundary line? Do I, when I walk into the office um, at work, do I kind of wave goodbye to God at the doorstep and go on in? Or do I say, actually, God, I want your kingdom to extend into my workplace. Do I want your kingdom to connect with with my friends and with, and with my family that, that don't that don't that don't know God what's your boundary line and I just felt God was was saying saying uh, saying this as I was just putting this um, this together he said I believe as Adam and Eve were created and called to extend the boundary line of the Garden of Eden which is the place of encounter and relationship with God then God is extending the boundary lines of Jubilee not just across Midlands, but increasingly into the nations. These boundary lines will also cross thresholds into schools and colleges, into offices and workplace, and into homes. God is extending our boundary lines. We've been in Jubilee for two and a bit, two and a bit, a bit years or so, and I've seen the boundary lines extended into Leamington, Kenilworth, Coventry, South Birmingham, Bromsgrove, up the M42 corridor. God is, God is extending the boundary lines, but not just in a physical sense, not just into another county or into another town, 
But because that's that's just that's just geography. Actually, God has extended the boundary lines into workplaces, into colleges. And there's a number of people that are changing schools and colleges in this in this time. There's some people that are going to be starting new new careers in new new kind of jobs in different settings. New boundary lines that God is opening up and saying, how far do you want this boundary line to go? So who desires to see the boundary lines increase? I do. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of finish, conclude with 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 a song. And there's there's a line in the song that says, Spirit break out, break our walls down. The word spirit is pneuma, which is where we get the pneumatic drill from. And I just wanna as we as we sing the song together, I just want you to imagine your boundary line where it's currently set. And as we sing Spirit Breakout, just imagine that boundary line having to punch through it. The Spirit would punch through the boundary line to create you space to extend, see the kingdom extended in your situations. So can we, can we stand together? Just imagine what your boundary line is now. Get it in your mind. What is, what is the boundary line? What is kind of the perimeter of where you see God working so far? And speak to that boundary line and says you need to extend. You need to extend. That God's name God's majestic name needs to extend further and wider and longer than where it currently is. Spirit, would you break out? And Spirit, would you break through to open up new spaces for us? New spaces for your kingdom to advance. New spaces for us to take King Jesus and to show him to a world. As we worship, as we outrageously worship this king, would you advance?